really got to try on that left hand side. What happened? <laughs> oh, but I've gone up and over, and Marty had over biscuit. It was a, uh, it was, a, it wasn't enough stability there for myself. But um, no, I was busting for a bit of meat this game. It didn't seem to work out. Hello, cheers, and welcome, welcome once again to the Scrum of the Earth podcast, the weekly show that brings you news, results, great interviews, and just so much more all about the world of rugby union. As always, I'm David Lawrence. I'm an American rugby fan. I follow the game wherever I can find it all over the globe. I follow several competitions, uh, and this week I'm going to be looking specifically at the start of this year's Six Nations tournament, the start of Season 5 of Major League Rugby, which is pretty exciting itself, and then Round 15 of the Gallagher Premiership. So we'll also have a, a bit of a surprise when we get to a certain match that was played in Edinburgh on Saturday. You know we'll have lots to talk about with that one. Uh, anyway, if you want to get in touch, by all means, please do. I can always be found on Twitter, at of Scrum. I'm on Instagram at the Scrum of the Earth podcast, and you can always just shoot me an email via the Scrum of the Earth at gmail.com. Get in touch whenever and however you like. It's always great to hear from you. So with all that admin out of the way, let's dive right in. So as always, we start with current updates. That's just news for what's happening in my own life. And of course, if you tuned in last week, you'll recall that we got a record snowfall for the month of January here in Boston. And damn, man, that, that is a lot. For some reason, the snowplows seemed to decide, uh, no, you know what, we're not going to do the whole street. That's just way too much. So now my street is effectively a one-way street, smack dab right down the middle. It's very strange, which also meant that the process of digging out what is usually my own driveway also involved digging out like four or five feet of the streets. I'm like, uh, why am I shoveling out the city instead of the, sh the city shoveling me out? I don't get it. Anyway. Being stuck inside like that, you start to feel a little bit nuts when you're sort of trapped inside and can't go anywhere. But obviously, none of you know anything about the... Oh, right. In any event, I'd also complained last week about the blizzard coming on a Saturday. So this week, we got another storm that was kind enough to land on Friday. But this one was an ice storm. So my work and all the schools in the area were closed due to the potentially lethal driving conditions, especially by the afternoon and rush hour. So it wasn't a snow day. It was an ice day. And I think that might actually be a first for me. I seriously can't remember that happening ever before. Probably has, but maybe I've just blocked it out intentionally or unintentionally. Anyway, of course, the following morning, even though you're literally inside a frozen shell, things outside do look so beautiful. It's like those, this might be a weird reference, but it's like those fruit tarts with a sort of perfect clear sugar glaze. It just kind of makes everything uniform and sparkly. So that's what I'm going to be angrily telling myself as I hack my car out of this glistening sarcophagus. He's taken! He's taken! People have to know! No, this week it is not good news, Isa, I'm sorry to say. I'm a little bit surprised, you know, with the way things have been going for the last couple of years, I'm surprised to report that New Zealand are continuing to struggle with COVID or struggling once again with it. And the new Super Rugby Pacific competition is really having to bend over backwards just to find ways to, to get the soon-to-be opening rounds played. So there are so many restrictions in so many places, and in between New Zealand and Australia as well, matches are just, they're being moved in some weird ways. I'm, I'm hoping they're going to go ahead. I'm dying for this new format to get started. In any event, in the latest uh, update, and this is from the New Zealand Herald, quote, Dunedin's Forsyth Bar Stadium will host scheduled night matches for the opening three weeks of the Super Rugby Pacific season, New Zealand Rugby has announced. The six New Zealand-based Super Rugby Pacific squads will move into isolated bubbles in Queenstown this weekend and had initially planned to play night matches at Rugby Park in Invercargill. However, 
After further conversations between the teams and NZR, that's New Zealand Rugby, obviously, uh, it was agreed that the facilities at Forsyth Bar, including the roof, made it the team's favorite option for night matches. The move will add some extra travel time for the teams playing in Dunedin as they will be required to drive back to their Queenstown bubbles after each match. Ugh, what a drag. Anyway, let's hope they can all relax a little bit, maybe kind of soon. Let's hope that these opening rounds go well and they don't have to keep doing these crazy adjustments. I'm sure there's going to be a whole new vibe this season, you know, with these players under these circumstances and these conditions. And not to mention, which I'm going to anyway, the impact from the volcano eruption in Tonga, the tsunami that came behind that. Did, did you guys know that some of the waves created there went as far as the Caribbean? It's just unbelievable. It's, it's going to be an incredibly emotional time there. The players, it's going to be really tough for them. And I can tell if I start to go on about it, I'm definitely going to get carried away and a little choked up. So... Okay, there's a lot of reviews this week, so let's get into it. I, I do know that this was opening weekend for my beloved Major League Rugby, but first thing in the morning, my time, it was all about the Six Nations on Saturday. Now, the weather in the UK on Friday the 5th was, frankly, terrible. Pretty well right across the board. Yes, I know, the UK is a big place. The weather varies wildly from region to region. But let's face it, on Saturday, the weather forecasts for Dublin and Edinburgh were pretty much identical. A bit warmer in Ireland, maybe, but just rain, rain, rain all day. Gusts of potentially greater than 40 miles an hour, which is technically a different number in kilometers per hour. That's right. We do bring the math here each and every week. I gotta say, uh, I started out a bit worried about these first two fixtures. You know, every now and then you get a game that's sort of more amazing because of the conditions. Sometimes you get one that's amazing despite the conditions, but let's face it, those things are kind of rare. So I was thinking it was likely I'd be sort of bored and sad by lunchtime. <laughs> and here's me crossing my fingers. Anyway, I was fully ready for this uh, slate of these two great games. I even managed to eat breakfast early enough to crack a beer in time for the Ireland versus Wales kickoff. That's right, I'm officially the Jim Morrison of rugby fans. And I woke up in morning, I got myself a beer. And I woke up in morning, and I got myself a beer. Okay, getting us started that Saturday morning. It was Ireland at home for Wales. Well, we started off this year's tournament with what would be a very, very tough day for Welsh fans. Um, Wales just did not look good at all. Ireland dominated the whole way. I didn't see too many positives to take away even. Uh, maybe I need to look closer. Johnny Sexton looked to be at the peak of his powers despite all the shade being thrown at him uh, in the lead up to this one. Oh, and also despite, to be honest, some, some pretty off-the-mark kicks in the first half at least. Uh, one of my favorite players, Bundy Aki, he got himself a try within, I think, the first three minutes of the match, and that was the tone set right there. It was it was only 10 to nothing at halftime, but it did not feel that close. Ireland took control right from the start of the second half. Ireland got six turnovers to Wales' three. Wales missed 22 tackles to Ireland's 10. And Wales also conceded three scrum penalties. And Josh Adams, perhaps playing out of position at center, gathered himself a yellow card to make things even more difficult for his visiting side. Uh, two of the Irish tries were by Andrew Conway, and Wales only managed to get one all night. So to be fair, their try came from one of the best-named rugby players ever, Tane Basham. I mean, if you have a chance to pick up a guy named Basham, you take it, right? Anyway, worth noting, Wales were without Alan Wynne-Jones. They were w without Ken Owens. They were without Talupe Falatau. They were without Josh Navidi. They're always out without not Josh Navidi. That guy can't stay on the field. Uh, they were also without the services of Justin Tipperick and George North. 
So it wasn't a shocking loss, uh, though that just can't be much consolation for fans of the defending Six Nations champs right now. So 29-7 to was that final score, by the way, at the Aviva Stadium there in Dublin. And of course, next up was Scotland at home for England, and we're going to save that one. And instead, we're going to go straight to Sunday for the France versus Italy match. You know, again, I went into this one sort of terrified of it just being a complete laugher, but no, Italy, they managed to turn up. They even scored the first try of the match. They took an early lead over the stunned French. France then, of course, went ahead, but... Italy took the lead back again before, you know, a couple silly mental errors saw the scoreboard start to slip away. A lightning fast interception led to a gut punch try. And then another error cost them yet another try right as the first half was expiring. It's just so hard to overcome that psychologically. And you can sort of see it on their faces. Uh, One plus side for the Italians though, as always Garbisi, he's just at a whole other level compared to most of his teammates, but one, one guy simply can't win you a rugby match. I, I don't think that'd be possible for any team with any player. Uh, it was clear, another good thing, Italy had done a lot of homework for this one, which was encouraging. The, the comms kept mentioning that like uh, DuPont would try a move and they would be right there to, to handle it and defend it. And they just kept pointing out, oh, they definitely studied that. That's something he likes to do a lot. They clearly saw that coming. So those signs were, you know, that, that's a lot more prep than I, I usually am able to see, at least when I'm watching the Italians. Um, that was encouraging, but I had the feeling the wheels would come off well and truly in the second period. Sure enough, France had a hard time showing just how good they can be. I think the slippery conditions had a lot to do with it, but the truth will out, and uh, Italy found themselves sliding down a slope as time wore on. France's try at halftime made the count 2-1 for the home team, but Italy wouldn't find the try zone or even a single point for that matter the rest of the way. So in the second half, France got two more tries from Villieri. Uh, that gave him a hat trick, as well as one from Damien Penno for good measure. Les Bleus dominated the territory battle by a 2-1 to margin, spending two-thirds of the contest inside Italy's half. They grabbed seven turnovers. They won their malls by a count of 9-2. to Making things even worse, Italy went on to miss 22 tackles on the day. It's hard to imagine anyone winning you know, on a day like that. Entomac was nowhere near his usual magical self, but that just didn't really matter with his team putting up a 37-10 comprehensive victory. Though there are definitely some high points from Italy's young side. I really hope they get a victory, maybe two, maybe three this year. I know it's not going to happen, but I would love that, especially if those victories came against England, Ireland, and Wales. But I think we all know that wasn't going to be happening anytime soon. Okay, friends, we're now going back to Saturday to look at the match from a wet and windy Murrayfield and to share their thoughts about it. I have three very special guests joining us here on the Scrum of the Earth. Two of them you might recognize from previous bonus episodes, while the third is making his debut this evening. (laughs) (laughs) So if you're a regular listener, listener, you will recall my mentioning another podcast that I particularly enjoy. That, of course, being This Will Do Nicely. Is it a a podcast or is it an organization? Is it a... It's an uh, enterprise. An enterprise. That's it. (laughs) <laughs> well, the, the, tagline, you guys. The, the tagline for the show reads, we are three lifelong friends and Scotsman in New York that hasn't been updated, I guess, in a bit, um, who get together to talk about our homeland, the weird stuff that happens there and remind us why we are the way we are. And naturally, I have linked it in the show notes for this episode. Chris and Rory, welcome back. And Johnny, welcome. It's great to have you here. Thanks for Hello. having us. Hello, yeah. <laughs> I, I feel slightly out of my depth here because of all of us, I probably know the least about rugby. So thank you for um, uh... indulging me to be part of this. Johnny, it's just nice to see your face and it's nice to hear your voice. So, you know, that's lovely. That's, uh, Very pleased yeah. to be here. Couldn't agree more. 
Yeah, I mean, Johnny, were you confused and baffled by the game, or did you did you remember loved from it. like loved every minute? I'm here like, for the history, you know. I just joined for the big games. Is this third down? <laughs> Are they on third down? <laughs> Touchdown, <laughs> Johnny! You so, must have run out with us a couple of times when we were like 11 years old with Mr. Lang and. Oh, I played. Yeah. Oh, yeah. oh don't get me wrong. I played back in the day. I was reminded of that today because it was so cold in New York, and I came back in. <laughs> <laughs> and ran my hands under warm water and it took me back to the days of coming off a horizontal <laughs> rain field, you know, drenched yeah. in mud and getting in those showers. And yeah, so I have played a little in my life, but well, I don't think I really excelled much. Rowing is huge in Boston and Cambridge for, for colleges. And uh, I remember like, so my parents are super nerds. My dad went to MIT and they had a, a rowing team, but those guys are out there on the water at, you know, 6am and sometimes when it's absolutely freezing out and apparently your skin tends to just kind of adhere to the wood of the oars. Oh. What is that called? So you're kind of pulling oh. your hands off of them Horrendous. as you're getting out of the boat. So that makes that sport real fun. <laughs> so David, I've got a, I've got an admin question for you. I noticed Ooh. that when you sent us the invite for the Zoom link, it came from Paige. Yes. Is Paige, is Paige your Gary the intern? <laughs> yes. Paige is a climate denying, uh, cl climate change denying manatee that I have. Been... You've got Every one too. Oh, wow. Every podcast got to have one. <laughs> and they're getting everywhere. They are getting it's how everywhere. you know you've made it, really. Yeah. Yeah, that's the problem. They are spreading, and their their lack of mis their 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 peddling of misinformation is the thing that's really becoming the problem. And they're getting into positions of power and admin. Like we need to stop this, guys. Yeah, and the the TikTok <laughs> profile is just enormous at this point. <laughs> uh, they love tiktok manatees love tiktoks and hate speedboats <laughs> for any of my listeners who don't know what we're talking about you definitely need to check out their podcast it will all make sense <laughs> yeah just dropping far too many uh, private jokes on that uh, on, on your stream so apologies for that oh was it uh, Recently, I came across the, the phrase heroically niche. I was talking to John Anderson about how I like to <laughs> like talk that. about rugby in America as if that's not niche enough. And then I like to throw in like 1970s prog rock references to yes and stuff like that. So, <laughs> and he said, oh, yes, yeah, so there's always room for the heroically niche, which sounded like a band that might have warmed up for the tragically hip. Talking of uh, the 70s, I've really been enjoying your Twitter account on like the day to day of oh rugby. yeah that's good that that's yeah I, i'm impressed every <clears throat> single time and it's fun we're like are you just do you just have a list of them do you look it up every day like i, do, I just know that stuff you know just... <laughs> yeah just off the top of your head <laughs> no in fact there, there's a website that i'm embarrassed to even mention because you'd all be like oh I don't have to read his tweets at all. I can just go to this damn website every single day. No, it's, it's, I like got, the it's got something it's for everyone. No, don't yeah. tell us a website. That would ruin the magic. Exactly. See? Exactly. So yeah, I yeah. wake up knowing it. I wake up and I'm like, 1839, Murrayfield. No. It's brilliant. <laughs> it's it's a nice little it's a nice little start to the day. Better than I, I do like that. And um, Twitter, unlike Instagram, allows you to schedule things. So I'm it's not that I'm up at 525 posting those things every day. It's that I've scheduled two weeks ahead of time. Oh. That okay. makes way more sense. Oh, I shouldn't have given that away. Damn it. No, no, no. That's probably Paige Humanity that told you how to do that. <laughs> Gary tells nothing. So, so by the way, uh, on the, uh, the Thistle Do Nicely site that I've linked in the show notes, 
Um, these guys have all given each other catchy little nicknames. And we talked about the first two when Chris and Rory were here last time, but this is the first time I've had, had a chance to ask Johnny about his. Johnny, you're listed as being Johnny the Highland Flinger, Naismith. But I swear, <laughs> I, I actually misread it the first time and I thought it was the Highland Finger. <laughs> Which was Whoa. Definitely, I mean, definitely that's don't like to talk about it so much. Yeah. <laughs> Who would you rather be, the flinger or the finger? What I mean, the Highland finger. That's I mean, that's something uh, I don't think uh, we should yeah. discuss on this show. <laughs> the Highland, the Highland finger was actually a notorious uh, uh, criminal that got done for sexual assault in Inverness <laughs> back in the nineteen sixties. <laughs> <laughs> okay, again, so thank you all so much for joining us here. It's, it's always easiest to chat about good news, right? Yes. That's why we're in a good mood. Yeah. Yeah. So the obvious first question is, were any of you at least vaguely aware that Scotland actually had a scheduled fixture this weekend? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The build-up has been, uh, has been pretty, uh, like, it, the, the funny, we, I think we, we, the, the, we always joke about Scotland being it's the hope that kills you, and every single year we go, oh, well, you know, maybe this year we've got a chance. You never know. Uh, and now... It was weird this year because, like, I would say we were genuinely the favourites for the game. Yeah. Because um, it was at home. We beat them at Murrayfield. We've got a pretty good record against them now. And um, and it, I was obviously it was really nervous throughout the game because it, it didn't, it wasn't really going our way. But like, it, I think you know we justified the favourites tag. I thought we it was, uh, and now of course hope will be through the stratosphere uh, <laughs> yeah. for the rest. Oh of no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, in a way, there's like nothing worse that can happen than winning your first game because now we're like, oh, yeah, well, maybe we will win the whole thing. It's like, yep. yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be yeah. a disaster from here on out. Yeah, we're, we're, you know, I think on paper we should come thirds because France are very formidable right now. Ireland, you never quite know. They've had a good autumn test, although that game on Saturday wasn't so brilliant. Um, and so, and then we're kind of next, but it's still being Scottish. You still think well, it doesn't matter what we're projected to do. We're still going to find a, a way to screw it up for ourselves. And somehow on Saturday, that's not what happened. We actually pulled it out of the bag. And that's two in a row. Yeah. Yeah. For the first was- time in our, in our <clears throat> lifetime, I think is how I understood it. Like it's been nearly 40 years since they've, retain the Calcutta Cup. It's right. Best. Wait, well, so like this is kind of a unique moment from what we our experience of like following Scottish sports, I guess. Well, I have some very curated stats to share with you in a little yes. bit too. Okay, will... I love stats. But maybe you've got this one. Didn't we retain it? Didn't we have like a win and then a draw? Didn't the game that we drew like yeah. just a few years ago? So we technically yeah, yeah. have retained it. Oh sure. Yeah. Just yeah. not back to back wins, I think. Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. That it's so funny too because back then it felt like Scottish fans were just over the moon for that draw, and that draw was the most gut wrenching ending to a game I possibly could have imagined. So <laughs> as an American, we kind of stay away from ties anyway. But um, <laughs> that one, it's like we've got it, we've got it. Oh, like yeah. the whole oh well, that's pretty good. We got a draw. Uh, I did not feel that way. Well, I I mean I was at that game. Uh, it was the last game I've actually been to. Um, oh my gosh. And it, it was the best game I think I've ever been to. Uh, yeah. And it, to be fair, like we were so far behind at half time. We were 31 7 down at half time. So to even get into the position where it looked like we were going to win was 
ludicrous because at halftime, every Scot that was in that stadium was looking around kind of shell-shocked that it's, <laughs> you know, it was it all kind of, so should we just go home? Uh, but uh, we managed, we stayed around and it just ended up being this utterly ridiculous uh, second half. So for the listeners, spoiler alert, Scotland did in fact win this one. It was a close one for sure. They, they yeah, held on please. to a famous victory by a score of 20 to 17 over their most hated historic rivals. Chris, how are you feeling about it? Uh, of course, any of you can jump in, but uh, I thought I would start with prompting people if that's all right. How are you feeling about this win? Um, yeah, I, th- I mean, look, it was the result is the the be all, the above all and end all. Um, it was a very Rory and I actually watched it together, uh, which was which was nice because we could sort of analyze it in real time. But um, like, it was a very unScottish performance. It was hmm. almost like England were playing the part of Scotland, which was they were constantly knocking on the door. They were, you know, they, they were they were trying a whole bunch of stuff, and they they just couldn't finish off their chances. And we, I don't think we played particularly well. And I think there was that stat that was been going around that we touched the ball inside their 22 for just seven seconds in the first 50 minutes of the game. <laughs> it's absurd. Yeah. Which was, which, which was a try. I mean, it's a very, we've always complained about Scotland having loads of opportunities and not being able to finish them off. And I think we had four forays into their, into their territory and we got, points from all of them two tries and two penalties um so england i thought england were the significantly better team but they they all also were a bit one-dimensional they clearly had a game plan where it would be go through a couple phases then kick it behind and test Wait, you, test you, the back the back three england were the were the better team or are the best oh yeah team? Oh. no I, oh. so it, was it just luck that we just no 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 i don't think so i think England, I, I thought, like I said before, I thought Scotland were the favourites. I think the Scots, on paper, the Scotland team I thought was better. And that's why I thought we were, you know, I was somewhat confident that we were going to win. Um, but on as the game was unfolding, I think England were all over us. And I thought it was totally unravelling in the second half. We gave away a bunch of silly penalties. Mm. And it just looked like, then Marcus Smith went over for his try. And I just thought, all right, well, here we go. Um, He's and- fun to watch. Yep. he's re- yeah, yeah he was really good um but fortunately for us the the rest of the england backline was a little bit disjointed and really i don't recall too many clear-cut chances for them um like i said it was a lot of couple phases then kick it behind hoping that hog or duhan or darcy would make a mistake and those three were fantastic mm. all day rory I, do you think do you think it was uh <laughs> england's injuries that made the difference no, I, I actually, so Chris, Chris and I talked about this a little bit, obviously, this morning and yesterday, and I, I agreed with him during the game that uh, I, th- I thought England were the better of the two sides at that point, but the more I've been mulling it over and thinking about it and looking at it, I do think a lot of that is just being a Scotland fan. Like, we're basically... <laughs> We're, 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 we're so yeah we're, I'm, because we're not putting multiple tries up against England we're like oh mm. we were crap then and yeah you're right like we would definitely give away far too many scrappy penalties but our defense was incredible like mm-hmm. we, we had something like a 90% success rate with defense and any other team that we and there's plenty of times where Scotland have been playing against other teams, including England, where 
we've been constantly attacking, constantly attacking, and we've not been able to finish. And we're, we're historically terrible five meters out from the try mm. line. And we'll sit there for hours and do nothing and not be able to convert, eventually give away the penalty or give away the ball and lose it. And when that happens, we're like, oh, Scotland's terrible. They can't convert. They can't finish. They're, they're awful. They're awful. They're awful. Whereas now it's the reverse where Scotland spent the entire time defending pretty spectacularly, held them at the 22. And then when they took their chances, they scored. And there was that, like that try that um, we uh, got, I've forgotten his name, Ben Smith scored. The, ben White. Ben, ben White. White. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, scored if you his, look at his like first cap goals, i think right oh yeah, yeah first yeah. cap on for a minute scores a try against england in the Kolkata cup just spectacular um i hope he becomes a good player but even if he doesn't then the guy's already a legend <laughs> but like the build-up to it was incredible like because there was that um it was us attacking the line and then there was a turnover that england then kicked downfield and it went out but we had we took the opportunity at the lineout while Itoji wasn't paying attention to have what was this weird sort of semi-fast lineout, mm. um, but everybody was lined up, so it wasn't officially a quick, quick throw. And then the attack was just lightning quick. Darcy Graham was incredible. Blah 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 blah. And there was multiple, like not a huge amount, more, not as many as we would like to see, but we were still an attacking team. But especially with the likes of like Chris Harris being put in the field and not oh Redpath starting. Those like Redpath is an attacking center. Chris Harris is a defending center. I think he might be the best defender in Europe right now. Yeah, I think so. I think he was, he was, I thought our centers were quite weak yesterday, but then again, I also didn't, I think they were defensive. That's the whole point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, no, I know. I know they were defensive and we were, I'm not taking anything away from our defensive performance, but Mm -hmm. I, I think we rode our luck a little bit and England England didn't have a plan B like the, the two, the things yeah. that were the issues for them were they were very one dimensional on their attack. They, they constantly just tried to kick it in space. And then they made the mistake seemingly of taking Smith off, which I know Eddie Jones has been getting hammered in the press back home yeah. uh, for doing that because Smith, I wouldn't say Smith was bossing the game, but he was easily their most creative threat. Um, yeah. he, he scored all their points on the day. Yeah, and then, you know, I'm sure we'll get into what happens after that. Uh, but yeah, look, I, I, I like us. I think you're right, Rory. That if the shoe was on the other foot, uh, yeah, we'd be slating Scotland for not taking their chances. But I, I, I don't know. I just thought England had us, and I, I thought they had their foot on our throat, and they just they didn't take it, and we some somehow found a way to win. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if you're necessarily wrong. I just think we went out. Tooney sent out people to defend. That was his entire plan. So it almost mm. looks like we had the throat that they're booting our throat because we we wanted it that way. And our plan B was Finn Russell, Duhan, and Darcy Graham. Like mm. we were all just spectacular. Like again, the man of the match got it for for the tackles that he, he, he performed. I, I think uh, I'm not entirely sure you're wrong. Might be the kindest way to say it. you're definitely wrong. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> Becoming a catchphrase on our own yeah. podcast. Um, Chris, not that Chris, I disagree I love, with you. It's just that I completely disagree with you. I, I, I love you like a brother, Chris, but you're 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 an idiot. Yeah, yeah. Anytime the the phrase "I love you like a brother" is uttered, the word "but" is about to come. So and and so this one didn't even make it to my script. I'm just thinking of it now because you know every time I talk to Scottish rugby fans, they say the same thing. It's the refrain of the it's the hope that kills you. It's the you know stay away from optimism. It's the worst thing you can do. But does that translate to the players? If you're a Scottish rugby player and you make it to the national team and you're at that level and you're playing against England in the wind and the rain and it's really close, are you thinking, oh crap? I, I probably shouldn't stop start hoping right now, or is it you're just at a completely different level? Well, as professional international rugby players, mm. I think we're probably <laughs> the best people to answer that. Yeah. Johnny, do you want to take I, that one first? Well, I, it's funny. I was listening to another pod, a BBC podcast about the rugby, and it was like ex-internationals talking about uh, expecting versus hoping. And mm. it was really interesting because they, I think it was an old Welsh captain was basically saying like, you have to go into a game expecting to win like there's no room for hoping and and mm. i think there's been i mean i i again like comes with a huge caveat of i sort of watch the internationals and don't really watch much beyond that but mm. i do feel like this generation of scottish teams over the last few years has brought with it a, a greater level i mean and you know this also comes with we have spent our lives being burned by scottish sports at large yeah. so like mm. it's really difficult to change that mentality well, i'm very lucky i don't follow scottish football oh boy don't go near it it's terrible <laughs> um but and so i think this seems to be something in this team where they can at least go particularly in that context where they've got a home crowd for the first time in a while you, you know there's more than just the hope that we might nick something at the end which i think often as a scottish fan you're going into a game like oh if we could just hold out and then you know seize a little opportunity maybe that'll be it but I, I think there's more now, I think. But then we all, you know, you temper yourself because we've been through it so many times. I think I think what's different about this team is, and to be a professional sportsman like we all are here, of course, uh, you need to have blinkers on and you can't think about what's come in the past. You just constantly, you just have to think about what the next game is, mm. next, ne next match mentality or whatever you want to call it. Um, but these Scottish, the, there's guys in this Scottish team who... You know, we had what seven or eight British Lions players that we could point to uh, playing on, in in that game, which we haven't been able to say for twenty five odd years. True. Uh, you know, Finn Russell is widely held up as maybe the best fly half in in the world right now. Um, I'm sure you can make an argument for a couple of others, but you know, he's he's won accolades in France. Uh, Stuart Hogg and the other boys who are at Exeter have won the Premier League in the European Cup there. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, the Glasgow boys have also... I, I, I know Glasgow... I'm, I think uh, Glasgow are sort of on the outs slightly um, at the moment and Edinburgh are doing better. But both those guys, they always play big European matches and they've all got experience now um, of winning big matches. So it's taken a little while to for it to translate to the international stage. but But now... I think we saw it last year when we beat England and France away, which were two enormous results, and then oh had gosh. a pretty good we had a pretty good autumn series as well. That France game might have been even better than the win at Twickenham. I think people like Finn Russell, they bring like a bit of swagger about it. That's, mm -hmm. That I think is probably contagious in a team like that, where you mm -hmm. have someone that you can sort of look mm -hmm. to and build off. Where 
I think often it's, it's been seen as like gritty, determined players and like we've not always had flair about it. And I'm sure that builds and must build confidence of those around you that they're going to turn on a bit of magic now and again. Well, that, well you plus know, Hamish James Watson is just too small for this game anyway, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, Finn was a good, another good case yesterday. Like Rory was talking about like yesterday saying, or today I think he said that, you know, he hated Finn for so long and now that he's yeah. embraced who he is, like he just loves it. You know, and Finn was pretty quiet, I think, for the first 65 minutes. I think so. Just because of the way the game went. And then all of a sudden he was like, all right, I guess I got to go win this for my team now. Um, <laughs> and But you just saw like every time there was a little close up on the camera, he was winking at someone and yeah. he clearly, he clearly just absolutely loves it. And he loves taking the piss. And he was, and there was, I think there was an incident at some point he was, Ellis Genge was in his face yeah. uh, and I have no idea what they're saying to one another, but Genge is like a horrible little ogre of a guy. And, uh, <laughs> and Russell was just clearly winding him up and bantering him. And oh, it's, it's worth it. You got to wind and, up Genji. And also I, I think, I think this Scotland team might have Eddie Jones's number. I think yeah. now we've beaten them three or four, I think three times and, and drawn with them once. And I just think we, I mean, we're probably going to get shellacked next year when we play them at Twickenham, but I think we might. I think we've got figured them out. Well, well, that was just about as if I had sent you this text ahead of time to, <laughs> to try to get you to give me this segue, because if you want to go and cherry pick some stats, which is something I really like to do, you'll see that in the last five meetings between Scotland and England, Scotland have won three, including last year at Twickenham, the first time in 38 years, and they've drawn once. That leaves the English with a single victory in the last five. The question is, has hell frozen over? <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it, Scotland, England has always been, if you go back more years than just the last five, you'll see that even when we're bottom of the table in, the, like we'll lose to Italy, but we'll still be England. Like mm. they're, they're always, it's the, you know, you know, the old, the old rivalry that has been around for, for literally centuries. And so we always have the potential to pull something out of the bag with England, but they've been the better team for a long, long time. And now I do think regardless of like the, what happens on the day, I do think we're the better team right now. And England have some great players, but I think overall we're better. So you, you have to appreciate how well I cherry picked that five-year window because mm. <laughs> if you then take the 10 years before that, that's nine England wins, zero Scotland yeah. wins and a draw, yeah. uh, just yeah. a, a desert of terrible outcomes. Yeah. So is the idea of Scotland finally matching up well with their six nations counterparts? Is that real? Is the renaissance of Scottish rugby, you know, here, or are we still in the dark ages? I think it's, like I said, it's taken a little time to get there, but because if you look at the regions, the Welsh and the Irish teams always had four teams to draw on and we have two, uh, two teams, um, which is, I think has really hurt our depth uh, for years. And, you know, the, you can't compete with England's depth because of the way that the premiership is there. Yeah. Um, and we England could still have us beaten on depth, but it's taken a while to get there. I think we're there now. I think you could probably say you've got at least two players for every position, which is just huge. And it does feel like we have two, uh, uh, a full two squads, maybe not yeah. 46, but at least 30. Yeah. And, and look, honestly, crucially, it helps if you've got a world-class player in the quarterback position uh, that just changes everything who makes, he makes everybody else play better. 
when he's when he's on fire. Yeah, there was a fun Twitter. I was trying to look it up there, but it was a fun Twitter thread that somebody put out around the announcement of the squad ahead of the Six Nations, and the guy was just doing different fifteens, different Scottish fifteens, mm. and he was doing like the obvious, the backup, and then he was doing the young ones, and mm. like, like all that. He put out something like seven or eight different teams just showing our depth at the professional level plus like under 20s coming through into the game mm. and it was hugely encouraging for to see that not only is the current team world class because i think the last time that we had a player that is kind of unanimously referred to almost across the board as being the best player in his position in the world was Gavin Hastings and that mm. was like mid nineties. Uh, and now we've got Russell and I, that's gotta be Adam's dad, right? Yes. Yeah, yes. Uh, his, he actually played with his brother as well. His brother Scott played. Um, and so he was a, a world-class, he was a kicker. He was a fullback and he was captain of the lions, that sort of thing. Um, and now Russell is, and for some I don't necessarily agree with this, but for a lot of people, they, they think that Hogg is, if not the best, one of the best. Uh, he's definitely one of the best 15s in the world, but a lot of people, he's he's the best. Um, and so just to have that kind of concept, we had like the player of the Six Nations last year was Watson. Uh, so many players in the line seem like this is the best it's been since Chris. I think you said like 1993 or something like that. Mm. I, I think probably 95, 96, 97 was um, the peak. Uh, when 95, when they were at the World Cup and Hastings was in that team yeah. and uh, and lost to France in the quarterfinals to a try from uh, Intermax's dad. Uh, oh. He got the winning try. Uh, yeah. And then. 97, I think, was the peak. And after that match, he sat down and forged his son out of clay. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. He got an advanced copy of Mr. Robot and thought, I want my son to look like that. <laughs> um, yeah. And then 97, we had uh, a few good Lions players. Tooney was the uh, standoff for the Lions in that tour. Yeah. And he was regarded as pretty world-class at that point. And then since then, it, it, that's just, I, I would say... The, the rot sort of started to set in around the early 2000s, um, really after we won the Five Nations in 99 and then it became the Six Nations after that. And oh, yeah. it, it's just always been kind of crappy since then with the odd peak and flow. But apart from this is for sure the most optimism and, and, and justified optimism that there's been in the team for, for a while. Johnny, I want to bring you back in too. Uh, where does this victory rank for you as a fan? <laughs> I mean, it. I guess it's up there. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I obviously have not got such a deep um, history of watching so <laughs> so many games, but like, you're busy. I, you're a busy yeah, guy. Busy guy. Okay. You know, I've got football to watch. All those things. I mean, it, <laughs> oh. the thing. I, I don't know. It's hard for me because, like, I I am a sucker for. I immediately buy into the optimism. Like, I'm ready to go. I'm like, maybe this is the year. And actually, I have to really fight that because it's it's. We've just been through it so many times, like in all sports, that I have to like temper that as best I can. But... You were you were ridiculous during the Euros, Johnny, when Scotland <laughs> qualified for the Euros, and and we all had our chat, and you were like, yeah. 
I, I think I said like we're gonna we're gonna get dumped out. Of course we are. And you were like, no, but what if? What if? Let's give it a, what? <laughs> I like those historic moments, and that was historic for us. Because like, even you know, I, even yeah. I was aware of some of the incredible memes that came out of that. That was fantastic. <laughs> that was brutal. And so we we should have. I should learn my lesson, and I can't because maybe I'm hopelessly optimistic. But so R- Rory, you all you kind of hinted at this already. So I, I did want to ask, how were you feeling heading into the match? You know, uh, were you agonizing about Townsend's selections for this match? Uh, how do you think the elements and the conditions, or how did you think the elements were going to impact the game? Did you think the uh, the squad matched the day? Uh, oh, oh, lots, lots to answer in that question. So first off, I won money because I put two bets on Scotland winning. I had a later hey. and I put an individual bet on. So that was my confidence going into it. I thought that they were going to win. I thought it was going to be a garbage game because mm. of the weather. I thought... Um, Which I don't think was as bad as people thought, right? No, it, no, no. It didn't the look that bad. Pitch actually looked beautiful, and it did rain towards the end of it, but generally it wasn't as windy. It wasn't yeah, as the gale force wet. winds, are like it looked like a good day in Galway for me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but because of that, my fantasy team, I'd taken out people like... I'd actually cut down a lot of the Scottish backs in my fantasy team because I was like, the backs are going to do nothing. This is going to be a slog in the forwards. And then Russell's going to kick maybe six points and we're going to win six, three. That's, that's how this is going to go out. I would take it. So, yeah. Uh, but I was just delighted by how it came out. I thought that the team that was picked from the squad was basic biscuits. So it was exactly what I expected. It would be the team oh. I would have collected as well. Interesting. Um, did no, you, no, there... no, Darge. I, I heard a lot of scuttlebutt about Darge starting over Hamish. I also, uh, I, I, I have a feeling that Hamish doesn't uh, like coming off the bench. I, I asked our buddy Jamie about that, who we spoke to last year at the Six Nations about Darge because he's the one that everyone's excited about. Mm. And uh, I, I asked him why he hadn't made the bench, for example, and he said that Darge is. Um, just an out and out seven, really. So they had Bradbury in for the uh, flexibility, which actually helped for us because Jamie Ritchie went off her, obviously. Um, but I mean, come on, we're talking about the guy who was the the player of the tournament last year, and he's a British Lion. And... I, I wanted Hamish. I just heard a lot of yeah. I, I mean, I, I'm sure we'll see Darge at some point in the tournament. I'm sure we'll get a run out at the very least against Italy. Mm. Um, and the other one, I was, I, I thought the team was a basic, you know. It was was probably our strongest 15. I did wonder if Redpath was going to make an appearance. Me too. Um, and I think he might maybe in the next game because I thought yeah. Sam Johnson was a was a bit quiet. Mm. Um, and I but I still to... think like yeah. not picking Redpath is is a defensive choice, and picking Watson over Darge again is a defensive choice. I think that's what he was doing. He was like, "This is my team," and then I've got Duhan and Russell in the pocket. Mm. Mm. I think that's why I made those decisions. Well, I wonder how much different it'll look next weekend. And we'll, of course, get to that. Um, I do. We talked a little bit earlier. I love pouring over the numbers. I love picking out random things that give you the impressions that might be completely wrong. But I, I have some cool ones, I think. So any of you who want to jump in at any time, feel free. So Marcus Smith, he scored all of England's points on the day. Yet he, along with Genji and Sinkler, they all got the hook at the 63-minute mark. And uh, Fanny Jones has been taking some flack for this. Do you think that was a mistake? Do you think he screwed his team? Yeah, yeah, I yeah. do. I, I, I think he, I think he made a mistake. Um, 
<clears throat> Tane's Miller, and maybe taking the front row off. I think the front row had uh, mm-hmm. kind of had us on the ropes, really. Mm. And you know, you, there's there's two arguments to be made. You could say that they were gassed out. You know, front row never goes a full eighty anymore. Um, but and then you know, it's all it can always uh, swing swing the pendulum. But um, yeah, I think Eddie Eddie is so obsessed with using these finishers, as he calls it. Yep. Yeah. Which, I, to be fair, I like that. I feel like that that was a nice little nod to the players who felt bad before about not being picked to start. I feel yeah. like it's worked. I feel like it's worked. But I feel, I feel like, again, I just feel like he doesn't have a plan B. Uh, mm. And, I, you know, I think the fact that Smith was clearly the biggest threat on the field should have meant that he stayed on longer. Yeah, the Smith's decision is the weirdest one. I think you're right. The front row, front rows don't last a full 80. You're not mm. expected to... Um, and you keep them on longer, the more likely they're going to get injured. Mm. Smith was was baffling. He's a young guy. He's fit. He was still putting, like, he's still running around. He was kicking well. I didn't get the the decision there at that at that point. And I, I, yeah, I think potentially the game could have gone a different way if he'd stayed on. I don't know for certain, but I'm, and we never will. So here's numbers that make Scotland not look so good. So England, they had more overall possession, not by a lot. It was 54% to 46. Yeah. They dominated territory to the tune of 62% to 38, basically a two to one margin. Mm-hmm. Uh, Scotland had officially one more bad pass and the visitors on the day, as well as two more handling errors, one more knock on and had to attempt 20 more tackles in the match. All of these stats favor England, but do those stats tell the story? So, you know, Sometimes I think, I, I have I think to there's an interesting that... thing here about you know you often hear yeah. in in um, in football about teams that win the league that you know there's those games they've just got to grind out a win and it's mm. sort of like winning when not playing well for instance and yeah yeah not that Scotland I don't think Scotland played badly but I think it's sort of what Rory was saying earlier like I think there's a funny thing where it's the other way around than we've often seen it like Scotland mm. having very little possession and being pretty ruthless in attack in a way like few opportunities take them quickly and then defend with like precision and energy and not making mistakes and, and it's just there's something in that that feels we've not been used to that as a performance from Scotland and so the stats sort of tell a story that is I think probably complementary to that for Scotland where mm. I think they played well in in a very defensive mindset in a way or that's from I, my point of view at least yeah sure. i read i read somewhere or i heard somewhere it may even have been Tunney, although i i might be wrong there that the the it may have been a game with the conditions as well where it was better not to have the ball mm. and again that's something yeah. that you see in football like it's uh team is quite happy to kind of sit back and then smash you on the counter um yeah. and i think you know, and you're willing the other team into a mistake. I mean, that in a way, that sounds like England's overall game plan, though, usually, right? Yes, did, did yes, and that? that's what's so baffling about mm-hmm. it all. I think you're completely right. That's how England have played everybody for decades, and all of a sudden, we're seeing it flipped, and mm. it's just mind-boggling to us as Scotland fans. <laughs> so Darcy Graham, he led Scotland in broken tackles, is that a meaningful stat? And, you know, sometimes I just think out of all the major sports, if this is a major sport, to me it is, uh, do rugby stats do the worst job of telling the story of what you actually just saw? Oh, that's a good question. Because yeah. American sports love their useless stats. Oh, yeah. Uh, 
Oh, I just, never just, know just watch a baseball game and just listen. And, yeah, and well, nah. it's been 17.6 years since a left-handed blind <laughs> guy has pitched a three-hitter. Yeah, so yeah. I never really cared about the stats on sports until I moved here, and I do kind of love it now that I get to see it with rugby. Like coming, because I read that saying, you know, watching the game. We obviously didn't have a territory, but I going and looking at the stats on possession, that really surprised me that it was almost 50-50. Mm. I love that now that we have that. And then I can go and look at like who did the most tackles. I know that Hamish was just, again, a beast in, in tackling. Um, who, who got man of the match? I've forgotten his name. Uh, Fagerson. Matt Fagerson. Fagerson. Matt Fagerson. But he got it because he like completed like 17 tackles and didn't miss one and all this type of stuff. I just... I love that breakdown now. It's brilliant. But mm. on, on, on Darcy yes. though, like Darcy just even just looking at the eye test, like he was a menace all day. Oh yeah. I, I, really I love up for it. We love Darcy and I thought he always looks lightweight. He reminds me a bit of Shane Williams. Shane Williams is obviously a better player, but like just this little guy who is, you just think is going to get munched by his opposite number. <laughs> and he was he was it directly involved in both tries uh, in the end. Yeah. You know, he was I thought Darcy should have won man of the match. I thought he was yeah. our biggest threat by an absolute mile. There's so, he... there's so many phrases that you just can't use with an American accent that are perfect for rugby. Like, like he just got munched. Uh, <laughs> David, David Flatman said he got melted, uh, folded. It's one of my favorite. None of those things yeah. sound right in my yeah. accent. <laughs> I, wasn't Darcy, didn't, didn't Darcy get the turnover that led to us being able to kick it out at the end? Yeah, I can't quite remember. yeah he did. Yeah, it was. He did. Oh, yeah, okay. yeah oh, he yeah. was everywhere. He was terrific. Yeah, he was incredible. I mean, let, let's just talk about the, the, the penalty try because that was obviously what ultimately won us the game and it was so baffling and Chris and I watching it, it was, it was so dirty it was not how Scotland tend to win, which is one of those weird decisions. <laughs> no way did I think ever. that decision was going our way. No way. Right, exactly. And it was fairly clear cut. Like he volleyball batted it out and he was the last man. And I think, Chris, the moment it happened, you're like, that could be a penalty try. Mm. And then one of the commentators said, like, it's at least a, a yellow card, maybe yep. a penalty try. And everybody has just kind of gone like, yep fair play like he shouldn't have done it and he probably and darcy would have probably scored if it wasn't for for mm. uh cowan dickey and it was just so weird again such a weird hey, way to win i said this again to you i think rory that i would love to know and i haven't seen anybody talk about it from the scottish side yet did russell realize that it was cowan dickey out on the wing when he did that uh, and did he realize that the hooker was on no in no man's land uh and wouldn't know what to do and wouldn't know what to do or at the very probably not hoping for like a incredibly stupid volley uh maybe just a, a, a knock on or something or darcy mm. just beats him in the air but uh, like it that was a, I, I did feel a bit for cow dicky because it was yeah. as a former hooker myself <laughs> uh being out on the way it's, good, it's and... a good way to make money in the short term <laughs> uh, it's all it's all gone to venmo now it's just not the same um yeah no well just maybe, be, maybe this weekend I, I... we can go to vegas and pick up some talenters <laughs> as i'm one of the but, but my, my point being that a hooker being um 
like completely caught out of position uh, as the last line of defense. He was, it was a, it wasn't a dirty play for me. It was just a, oh God, uh, what do I do? Uh, you, I, I can, yeah. I know that you, Chris, as a player, have felt that panic as well of being yeah. like, oh my God, what am I doing here? Why do I have the ball? <laughs> yeah. And as hookers, we've all felt that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yes. Well, it's all about OnlyFans now. It's so. one of my favorite things in rugby. <laughs> It's it's one of my favorite things in All rugby when when a prop or a or a front row, a proper hooker gets the ball and like suddenly finds himself in acres of space and doesn't know what to do with it. So they just kind of ramp rampage forward for ten meters and then just completely panic. Oh, it, it was it was a couple of weeks ago. I was watching. I, I God knows what match it was, but um, you know, a, a back on this one team has the ball and he's he's getting tackled. So he's kind of turning around and he's like, okay, I'm gonna offload this. I'm gonna offload this. And the person right there is one of the props. And he's like, here. And the prop basically was like, no, no, I, I'm not taking that offload. And he basically shoved him down. and was like, no, no, let's finish, let's finish tackling you first. And then I can start this restart. It was amazing. Yeah. He was like, what are you doing? Don't give me, don't give me the ball. It's incredible. <laughs> so while we're still on stats just a little bit, um, my theory is there will be no Grand Slam this year. I don't think any team's going to win a Grand Slam. It seems like there's all the teams are are probably good enough that they're they're going to win many, but probably not all of them. So I looked it up and was looking at the the history of the Six Nations. England, of course, have won the most Grand Slams with twelve. Wales are right on their heels with eleven, and then you got France with nine which I thought was interesting because France have had 16 fewer opportunities at it. They, they you know, they've missed 16 years of that competition. Meanwhile, Scotland and Ireland, three, three each. Yeah. Doesn't that seem yeah. weird? Is I'll it just that the Grand Slams that hard? Like, I mean, and I hate to say this, but don't you think at least Ireland would have more than that? Yeah. I'm I didn't realize Ireland had only three. That's really surprising. I thought for sure uh, they would. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, it's it's tough. It's tough to do. Wales seem to just have a real knack for it in yeah. the two thousands um, mm. under Gatland, um, and yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what to say. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> the, I, I don't, the Ireland thing doesn't really just out of sheer memory, like just watching enough rugby. I don't really remember them ever being in a Grand Slam situation. And I think yeah. they were. I think they were in one about 10 years ago or so i'd seem to remember um but yeah the rest of the time ireland always kind of flattered to deceive a little bit hmm. yeah Rory, don't you have a good stat about how close we were to a grand slam last year oh yeah yeah <laughs> three last points i think slam, it's the tail right? three points yeah. in like five minutes That's yeah because those those three points were all scored at the, the, the scottish thing i've ever heard in my life just like <laughs> and we, we and we came fourth fourth on the table but That's we brilliant. were three points and five minutes away from a grand slam so Look, we were arguably the closest last year. Um, could we do it this year? France, France are the problem. France are the real problem. Um, I know Ireland are very good, but France I, I, didn't look great today. They looked good. They didn't look great. Yeah, so I didn't see the game. Italy took the first lead, I and saw then that, yeah. France retook the lead, and then Italy took it back again. Uh, I just never in a million years expected that. But it, it's the first game. France wouldn't have put out their full and I the full 15 I think they left a few people off the bench and mm. I would need to look at it again that I was expected like I would have expected to have started I don't think there's some a couple of people even missing from the squad that I, I was surprised at uh, I think fair. there's something quite dangerous about in a way not to 
be too down on Italy, but if Italy's your first game and it effectively becomes a warm-up game, I'd worry a bit about France just improving from there on in. Yes, you know, exactly. that, that's what I meant. Like, yeah. you know, it was 27 points was the margin. A lot of people predicted 50. So, yeah. Hmm. And it, traditionally, Italy always play quite hard in the first game and uh, sometimes catch you unawares, but, sure. uh, but and, and yeah, France are inclined to switch off on occasion. Uh, so, the, I mean, they've got Ireland next week, don't they? I mean, that's probably the deciding uh, yeah. deciding game, I, I would have thought, between... Uh, if if Ireland beat them, then France might just check out of the tournament. That yeah. They're they're totally inclined to do that. Yeah, the French start with two home games. That's I just, I just realized that. They're welcoming Ireland next week. Interesting. Huh. I don't know how the French pulled that off. Um, but even Ireland weren't particularly good against Wales as well. You, you know, I think we were only kind of half watching the game, and I feel like that Welsh team, like France, Scotland, England, would have put like would have played much better against them. Would have put many more points. I got, there. to be fair, I got the impression that Ireland were really good to begin with, and then they were they got the bonus point and they sort of took their pedal off the. The full yeah, pedal. You might be right. Um, I don't think Wales ever really threatened them at any point. So no, it, it looked really bad. If I was a Welsh fan, I would be. I'd probably still be crying right now. Yeah, yeah. So I'm going to do the incredibly annoying modern journalist thing where I quote a tweet as if that's news. <laughs> but, but I, but I do want to know what y'all. <laughs> one of about. yours. <laughs> yes, as I said. <laughs> it's funny you say that somebody actually quoted his own blog to me at one point he said well as i said in my blog last week and i was like blah, 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 blah. Wow. no 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 <laughs> if i want to hear what you say in your damn blog i could subscribe to your stupid blog and i'm not doing it <laughs> so i did come across a random tweet uh so uh, somebody named graham love i have no idea who this person is but it seemed like a, a succinct little tweet it said after the scotland win it said important to keep things in perspective we were red hot favorites today and playing at home against the team that finished fifth last year. <laughs> Wales is next week, uh, which is a perfect segue to talk about Wales next week. Uh, that that seems like a very that sounds like an as misleading as my own stats type of tweet. I think I know that. I think that Graham Love guy. I've seen a few of his tweets. He's mm. got some. He's got a lot of followers. Decent stuff on there. I see him pop up every so often. <sighs> next week, I don't know what you boys think. <laughs> Well, as I said in my blog, um, it's, uh, <laughs> uh, I think there's danger about that game because one, we, we've triggered hope, which is never a good thing to do among Scottish fans. And mm. Wales are hurting a bit. And I think that is a recipe for a disaster. <laughs> I mean, it, the, the problem is that we're going to Wales and we have yeah. a pretty crappy record there. Uh, I, I would expect us to be favourites again, though. I think Wales... I don't think Wales looked like they had too much about them this week. There was just something off about the whole team. And I thought they were really lucky to win the Six Nations last year. They yeah. I just don't think they, they were, they could have won the Grand Slam and they, they didn't. It would have been a bit of a travesty if they had. I thought it's funny because they were close also, but I swear to God, everyone in the world is like, what? Wales won last year? Did they? Yeah. Really? Last year? Yeah, but, but like, remember they got a guy sent off in almost every single game. Yeah, yeah. It Not was the red them, card tournament. But like, yeah. I saw, I saw someone refer to that as the Millennium Rule today. Uh, <laughs> the, the Millennium Stadium. Um, yeah, I, I would be really disappointed if we don't beat them next week. I think 
uh, we need to go in there and and uh, plant our flag uh, and Slay keep the momentum. Dragon. <laughs> yeah, uh, whatever, whatever you want to do. <laughs> in, insert stereotype here. Uh, and then I think we got Italy in the third game, and then that's the momentum. Just that's what we're talking about. It's all about the momentum yeah. in the Six Nations. Yeah. If we go and lose to Wales, then it's like here we go yeah. again. Yeah. Well, yeah. getting getting the England game out of the way right at the at the top and getting the win that just everything seems like gravy from here. Even you know they yeah. might lose the next five games, I don't or four games, but uh, I don't think so. But uh, it feels like mission accomplished. And we we've got we've got one of our strongest squads in terms of injuries. Like we we came in with almost a fully fit team. Unfortunately, Jamie Ritchie, who's one of my favorite players, has got injured. I don't that think that is unfortunate for him. This. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> unfortunate for him. Yeah, but uh, I don't think he's going to be back this tournament based on like just the way he was stretchered off, which is a shame. But um, we've yeah, got depth, we've got a lot of other people that can take his place. And um, yeah, I don't know, I'm hopeful. So several of you have what we call in the industry here hard outs, so we've only got a couple minutes left. <laughs> Uh, Rory, <laughs> then Johnny, then Chris. Give me your player of the match for this past match. Uh, Darcy. Yeah, easily Darcy Graham. Like he was just incredible. I thought he changed the game, and I love, I love. That's why I like um, Jamie Ritchie. The passion that he had. He was throwing himself at the game. He wanted to win. You could see it in the way that he played, the way that he ran, and right up to the very end. So yeah, that was that was it for me. Johnny, what do you got? I'm going to throw in Finn Russell. I just, I do, there's something, I just got a soft spot for, because it's very non-Scottish, I think, actually. Like, we don't have Ronaldos and Messis and swagger about our game in Mm. any sports, and I love that there's a bit of attitude in there, and so that really, I love what he adds (laughs) to the mix. There was a great article about him recently, too, where he was talking about the difference between his life 10 years ago and his life now. He's like being a stonemason apprentice, in this small little town to playing rugby professionally in Paris and what the journey has been. It's a great article. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Uh, I'm going to be boring and agree with Rory. I thought Darcy Graham was our best player on the pitch. Um, I know that uh, Fagerson won man of the match. I kind of was surprised by that, but sometimes I don't notice all the dirty work that the forwards do. Uh, (laughs) Darcy just seemed explosive to me. I was so happy for him. Because I know he's been kind of in and out of the team a little bit. Uh, I'm kind of glad that we've seemed to have moved on from the Sean Maitland era. Uh, mm. And and he seems to have first dibs on that jersey. So Johnny, then Chris, then Rory. Who's a player that we didn't see this weekend that you're hoping makes it onto the pitch during the next four matches? I, I mean, I don't know. I don't know the whole team. <laughs> <laughs> Say Cam Redpath. <laughs> uh, Redpath. I was really looking forward to seeing Redpath this week, and it's a shame we didn't get to it, but um, got high hopes for the rest of the tournament. <laughs> uh, was I next? Was it yes. you, Chris? Uh, yeah, no, it's, it's, it is definitely Cam Redpath. I want to see, like, the kid had an incredible debut, debutante last year, and then... Pretty much perfect. Hasn't really played since then. He's only played a, like for his club a couple of times. And, and they've so, had him at 10. Yes, which is not going to happen. But it, it's it'll be it'll just be fun to see what he can do. And if he still has that confidence and can still play. Uh, and I 
I think it totally makes sense why he didn't play against England. Put him up, if not Wales, and definitely, definitely um, Italy. Uh, I'll go. I'll go different. I think I'm going to say two people and cheat a little bit. Oh. Uh, Darge, because I've heard so much good stuff about him, and I just kind of yeah. want to see what he's got. Uh, a lot of people are super high on him. Um, and then I'm going to say you and Ashman as well because oh. I think I, I think Hooker is still a bit of a weak spot for us, and I don't particularly rate George Turner huh. um, or McAnally. And I think Ashman, I'd like to kind of scratch that itch a little more, see if that's some someone that might be our Hooker in the future. He's a younger guy, right? Is, is he 21, 22? I. I I don't know. I, you know better than me. <laughs> I think so, but I think he's one of the ones that we we poached under. That might have been Jones a huge as guess as well. So, yeah, I think he is one of the younger guys. Um, but yeah, those two. So it, it's nine o'clock now, my time slash our time. Um, this is the time we agreed that we would call it. Uh, let me get your final scores for next week's matchup against Wales, starting with Rory. Um, Scotland by 12. Mm, so, wow. tasty. Yeah, I don't know exactly what the score is going to be, but Scotland by 12. Okay. Uh, Johnny, who you got? I think it's going to be tight. I, I would love to have the um, optimism of Rory, but I think it's <laughs> going to be like a three point game, like 12 9. But I think we, I think Scotland will win, actually. If Alan Wynn Jones is back, which I don't think he is, is that going to make a difference, or is he just kind of, you know, is he more of a talisman than a, a man? Yeah, but I think it would make a difference. I thought Wales did just look a li- looked a little bit lost without mm. him, uh, even though he's 112. Um, mm-hmm. But <laughs> in dog yeah, years, I'm, yeah, I, I, I'll I'll uh, I'll have a caveat on it. Depends kind of what the weather is and if the roof is closed. <laughs> uh, but I, I do will... love the fact that they can decide. They can decide. Oh, the weather's crappy. Therefore, we're closing it. And sometimes they say the weather's crappy. Suck it. Depends who they're playing. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think I'll go uh, Scotland uh, twenty-seven, Wales eighteen. Nice. I love it. So with that, we, the Grand Slam is pretty much wrapped up. I don't think any of us need to watch <laughs> anymore. I think we've pretty much figured it out. Yeah. Yeah, basically, we've got it got it in the bag. Might as well, well just uh, carve our name on the trophy now. <laughs> <laughs> I do love the idea of somebody sort of hacking it into the side of the, the flimsy silver tube. Yeah. So, guys, having all three of you on at the same time has just been smashing. It's just been so great. It's always a joy to have you on here. Um, I'm going to copiously link your podcast in my show notes, as I always do. I'm tuning in, as always. It's always a laugh. It's so much fun. Thank you for your insights today. Thank you for joining me here in the Scrum of the Earth. Do you have any uh, last minute things or even maybe plugs for your own pods to, to give out? Uh, yeah, well, just want, want to say It's a podcast, very much. right? That, well, thank, <laughs> yeah. Thanks very much for letting us uh, come on and talk rugby on, on your podcast again. Uh, and also, thank you for joining us at our uh, virtual Burns Night last week and for- It was my first Burns Night. Yeah, reading some poetry yeah. uh, for us as well. I would highly recommend all your listeners to go and find that and hear your dulcet tones uh, <laughs> as a kind as a kind of gateway drug to the rest of our podcasts. You know, yes, yeah. angsty Dave. Yeah, <laughs> that was very funny. Yeah, there's a lot of good poetry from from Dave, so you should yeah check out 
Thistle Do Nicely Pod um, or Thistle Do Nicely and Global Enterprises. What are we these days? Who knows? Uh, yeah, it's this LLC. is not a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think it's a limited liability corporation. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, but yeah, thanks for having us on. This was fun. It's always nice. I could spend hours talking, breaking down Scottish rugby. So it's always good to come on. Moving on to the MLR Saturday. Would start us all off on what I know is going to be an incredible season for the MLR. Best one yet, for sure. There's just so many storylines. There's so much history that's now sort of feels like actual history. It doesn't feel quite as much of a newbie league. There's, you know, matchups that you're looking for. There's individual performances you're looking for. It's just a, it's become a bigger and better beast this year to me. Um, there's so many questions about the trajectories of the league's perennial leaders. It's just going to, it's going up several, several levels this year. I can, I can feel it. Don't be afraid. I feel it too. So, by the way, uh, I usually go in the order of the matches as they're played, but in this case, I'm definitely saving my free jacks till the end. Anyway, kicking off what is going to be an historic season five, we began with DC Old Glory traveling down to Atlanta. You know, before the season, I speculated that Atlanta might have overachieved last year. And that we might see a little bit of a drop off, uh, but they they apparently didn't like me talking like that. So they they broke out the whooping stick for the visitors from DC. They scored a double nickel to their opponent's 17, just a completely dominant performance. Then down in Texas, it was another it was a tough day for Dallas. It was a tough start that we kind of all saw coming, frankly, for the Jackals. They got pretty well smashed on the day. Austin hammered them to the tune of 43 to seven. Looks like it's going to be a long season for the Jackals. Of course, L.A. then went down to Houston, and very surprising, the defending champions laid a bit of an egg down there. Um, the perennial cellar dwellers, the Thundercats, as I call them, won convincingly. It was 23-11. to 11. L.A. did have a slim lead heading into halftime, but then I don't know what happened after that. The second half was all Thundercats. Uh, they uh, outscored the visitors by 20-3 to 3 in that second period, and if we're going to do our traditional American thing and completely overreact uh, after just one single game, this is the one, right? Okay, that's right. You heard it here first. Houston are your future champs, and L.A. will be disbanded entirely, uh, and their players will be out on the streets asking for change. M- maybe. Anyway, then the big one, New Orleans hosting my beloved New England Free Jacks. That's right. The Saturday night fixture went the way of my beloved Free Jacks, who started their season with a lovely win on the road in New Orleans. The final score was 24 to 13 with my guy, Mr. Bowden Walker, scoring 14 of our 24 total points. He just looks awesome out there. I'm so glad he's on our team. Uh, Janssen and Poland got us over, uh, got us the other 10 with a try apiece. And it was a very encouraging start for our boys. They get a week two bye, and I imagine the machine will be even more finely tuned after the extra week of training and prep. Really feels like a good place to be. As Phil from the Jacks Rangers podcast likes to say, it feels good to be good. And the Free Jacks fans are feeling good today. There were two more MLR matches that I'm not going to get to because of when I'm actually recording this. That was Utah going to San Diego and Toronto going to Seattle. Um, I'll be catching up on those and maybe I'll do a quickie thing during the beginning of the week to catch you all up on that. Um, Or you might want to just check out Twitter and I highly uh, urge you to watch those games if you're able to as well. So moving on to the Premiership, on Friday we had Gloucester at home for London Irish. I found myself very much looking forward to this little appetizer heading into the meat of the weekend. Uh, But at least for the first half, there just wasn't much in it. London Irish, they seemed seemed to dominate possession and territory both, but Gloucester were the only ones to get a try despite limited opportunities. So as the first stanza wound down, the comms rolled. Not exactly the fireworks display we were expecting, (laughs) with the Cherry and Whites uh, actually wearing Cherry and White, by the way. Uh, They took a 7-0 lead into the break. 
As we discussed here last week, a lot of premiership players were unavailable due to Six Nations call-ups, so it's worth noting Gloucester were without the services of Stephen Varney, Chris Harris, and Lewis Reeser. Lewis Reeser! Uh, oh, and one I didn't know, actually, a, a guy named Kirill Kotovstev. Uh, I'm butchering that. I'm sorry. Apologize to. I hope he doesn't come and kill me. Um, he was also missing as he was off to captain Russia against Romania, and I instantly regret making that little crack. Side note, I'm pretty sure number 12 for the London Irish is Ringo Starr from the Hamburg Club era. Anyway, seven and a half minutes into the second half, Gloucester got another try, and London Irish looked a bit flummoxed, just couldn't get out of their own way, on, on top of making some rather large defensive errors. Uh, with the lovely conversion, it was 14-0, and things were looking sloppy for the Exiles. Eventually, London Irish did find an answer. They scored and converted a try of their own. Reserves started cascading in just before 60 minutes, and, uh, you know, with the score 14-7 to at that point, it could be anyone's game, I wrote. Clever work stealing a turnover at the breakdown by Gloucester, perhaps taking advantage of an inexperienced nine for London Irish, and it was just a back-and-forth fest from then on. Gloucester's fullback was a guy named Moyle, and I kept wishing the comms would describe him as slicing through defenders, but I might be the only one who would get that joke. Anyway, just after the 70-minute mark, Adam Hastings got the nod, came in to hopefully put things away at King's home. Ooh! And as if reading my notes, Hastings put in a nasty little rubber kick that was just too hot to handle for the visitors, who then botched the relief kick, giving Gloucester, uh, leaving Gloucester on brilliant footing, deep in the Nono's territory. The Irish squandered another last-minute opportunity, and Hastings then had a weird brain fart, att attempting a drop goal that would have helped their points total not at all, while simultaneously not rolling time off the clock. It it's the kind of thing that maybe kept him out of the Scotland squad this time, are we thinking? Fortunately for them, London Irish were way off the mark today. The home side got themselves one last try, converting it with the clock in the red. It was 24-7 to 7 at the end. Is this Gloucester's year? Moving on to the Saturday. You know, my plan had been to pretty much ignore the games on Saturday because of Six Nations, uh, but they just they looked too tempting, and I ended up getting sucked into them quite a bit, uh, more than I thought at least. So the first three fixtures went pretty much as planned, with Bristol defeating Newcastle. That was 37-21. to The Bears were ahead at halftime, 28-14, to and the Falcons never looked threatening, really. Newcastle amazingly had zero penalty kicks for the entire game, despite Bristol racking up three yellow cards. That, that seems like an odd stat to me. Uh, Bristol, their four tries all came in the first half, but it was their defense that threw out that probably made the difference in this one. Next... Leicester, they were at home and they absolutely smashed Worcester despite losing more players to international duty. And I just don't know if Worcester can turn it around this year. 36-16 to 16 was the final score and I think the Bears might be finding some of the form they had last year. Next up was Saracens versus Bath. Very predictable outcome this one with Bath continuing to struggle on the year. Saracens were without perhaps the most players of, of any of these teams while Bath were pretty much at full power. But uh, there's just too big a gap between these teams and a, a Series B squad should probably not even have much trouble with Bath's best, I would say, unfortunately. Next up was Exeter at home to face Wasps, and I, I very much regret not taking any notes for this one. I just kind of got sucked in, and then it became what looked like such a laugher. I was just kind of half tuned in, half not. Man, oh man, if you have a chance, go back and watch this one. Wasps scored, I'm pretty sure it was 13 points in three minutes, the last three minutes of the match, going on to win by a single point, as the clock is in the red, it was just mind-boggling. It was so good. And uh, some of the top teams in, in the Premiership are having a hard time right now. It's a little strange. I, I'm going to chalk it up to the international call-ups. 
And then on Sunday, there was a lovely little matchup on paper, at least. That was Harlequins hosting Sale. And once again, my expectations were completely countered within the first maybe three minutes of this one. Sharks, they were just totally dominant in the first half, with Harlequins making small errors and generally suffering from a group case of fumble fingers. Sale racked up 22 unanswered points before the home team finally got a score a couple minutes after the clock had gone red for the first half. Heading into the second stanza, we got an answer to a question I posed recently, the question being, where on earth is Fafta Clark? And sure enough, both he and Manitoulagi were suited up on the bench, apparently ready to come in for the final 30 minutes or so, and it was just oddly nice to see them both warming up. Um, David Flatman, who I'm a big fan of, he was on comms for this one. I always enjoy that, and he, he seemed genuinely surprised to learn that Harlequins have trailed at halftime 10 times over all competitions this year, and have come back to win seven of those times. So there still had to be a lot of belief in the squad, despite the scoreboard, which became worse around the 50-minute mark, 7-29 to 29 at that stage. And as promised, that was the cue for Faf and Manu to both come on, so things weren't going to get any easier for the home team, that's for sure. Oh, happy to oblige with my little theory here, Tuolagi just destroyed Esterhausen on his very first contribution in several months, with Flats describing it as a, quote, melting, unquote, which seems spot on for me. Handling errors at that stage were 12 to 5, and it seemed like it should have been even more. Um, Sale then started to get in their own way. They conceded pretty positive it was eight consecutive penalties, but Harlequins couldn't find a way to turn any of those into points until they were, uh, there, there was about you know 18 minutes left to play, and then they would double their previous total to make it 14 to 29. With only a few minutes remaining, Sale got yet another try to put the affair to rest, and the reigning champs coughed up another one. Wow. 14 to 36 at the end. Very strange results this weekend. Okay, that brings us to our coveted Diamond in the Ruck Award. And this week, the great honor goes to Tom Roebuck. That's right. Somehow this young man had flown entirely under my radar until this weekend until he came out at the stoop like a house on fire. What a performance. Mr. Roebuck, first of all, congratulations on turning 21 last month. That's just amazing in and of itself. But on Sunday, you led your side to a decisive victory against the champions from last season. You led your team in meters carried by, by a two to one margin, if not more. You got 106 of those on only the six carries. You got yourself a brace of tries, easily could have had a hat trick, and did it all while making it look really easy. For a man who was only born about eight months after 9-11, you clearly have a long and full rugby life ahead of you, and now you have this, this highest of honors to prove it. Tom Roebuck, congrats to you for you are this week's Diamond in the Ruck. Great work. So that, of course, brings us to our previews, and next weekend, Six Nations continues. Saturday, we'll see Wales at home for Scotland. I'm like shaking and salivating for that one already. It's it's still Sunday evening. Um, France will be hosting Ireland again. Oh my gosh. And then if you do need to take a day off this coming weekend to do something besides watch rugby, I would advise you to take Sunday where Italy will be hosting a very angry England. Uh, Meanwhile, MLR will continue as well. Um, There's a short week for a, a couple of teams. On Thursday, Utah will be traveling to Seattle. On Friday, L.A. will have to go to Toronto. Boy, that's two long-ass trips for them in a row. Saturday, Dallas will be going to San Diego. New Jersey will head down to see the Thundercats. Atlanta will go to New Orleans. And D.C., fresh, you know, still licking their wounds, no doubt, 
will be going to Austin. Meanwhile, in the URC, the URC will have another South African-only makeup weekend. So both of those fixtures are slated for the Saturday. They will be the Lions at home for the Stormers and the Bulls at home for the Sharks. And then, of course, the Prem keeps rolling on. Nothing can get in their way. Friday, we'll have Bristol hosting uh, London Irish and Leicester hosting uh, Northampton. Saturday, Exeter will be ho- at home again to face Gloucester. Jeez, that, that could actually be really tasty. Um, Sale will be hosting Worcester. Whew, tough times for Worcester. Wasps will be at home for Bath. That looks like a nice Wasps win. And then on Sunday, Saracens versus Harlequins. Yeah, actually, so I take it back. So maybe skip Italy versus England and instead buckle in for Saracens versus Harlequins. That is going to be good. Well, my friends, that does it for another week. Thank you so much for listening and for reaching out. It's always great to hear from you. As always, if you do want to get in touch, you can use Twitter. I am at of Scrum. You can find me at the Scrum of the Earth podcast on Instagram. And you can always just email me via the Scrum of the Earth at gmail.com. If you can bring yourself to leave me a nice review, that would be smashing. Also, uh, if you want to give a listen to the guys we had on today, this will do nicely as their podcast. I've linked it in the show notes. It's, it's a great listen. I couldn't recommend it enough. So if you like what we're doing here, there's at least one way you could show your support for us in the show notes. Thank you again all so much for coming along to joining me from all over the globe. Friends, cheers. Talk to you soon and be well. I'll keep your eyes